Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the most important thing or uh, maybe I could term it the most important question you need to ask yourself uh, in order to uh, achieve some great financial outcomes in 2023. Uh, so the the number one question is really how much will you invest this year? Uh, and it's uh, closely linked really with uh, cash flow management. Uh, and cash flow management, good cash flow management, which doesn't necessarily mean reducing expenditure to the absolute minimum, but really just good cash flow management is the absolutely necessary, the number one thing uh, you need to practice consistently in order to build wealth successfully. Um, I know it's a really boring topic. You know, if I write a blog or podcast about cash flow management, typically it's not that popular. If I write one about saving tax or, you know, um, boosting investment returns, that is typically a lot more popular. So I appreciate it's not a popular topic. But it really, really is important. And the best thing is that managing cash flow really well is super easy. You know, what I'm going to talk about over the next uh, 10 or so minutes um, will give you a really super easy strategy to follow. uh, And it will help you balance, you know, enjoying some of your income now and also uh, investing for the future. So investment returns alone typically won't help you build a large enough investment asset base and help you really ultimately achieve your lifestyle and uh, financial goals. You've got to contribute some capital, some money, some of your own money and so forth. So let me uh, use an example to explain this or make this point. Uh, We could go and buy an investment property and uh, anyone listening to this podcast uh, today would know that if we do that and we borrow the full cost of that investment property, there's going to be some holding costs because the interest cost associated with a loan uh, will be uh, much higher than the net rental income that we uh, receive from that investment. Uh, and so we've got two options then to fund that those holding costs is where we can fund it from our cash flow, so from our salaried income and so forth, which would really the traditional approach towards investing. Or we could say, okay, you know what, I'm going to go and borrow that as well. Uh, and I'm going to draw down a line of credit or some sort of product uh, to help me fund those those holding costs. So you're not putting any cash contribution into the investment property itself. The, the chances are that if you do that, if you take that latter option and borrow the negative cash flow, uh, what will happen is that your debt your debt associated with the property will obviously increase each year and, the, and so will the interest cost. That will compound as well. And what it could do, depending on the distribution of capital growth returns, is it could eat away all the investment returns or in fact may put you behind the eight ball. Whereas the traditional way is I will fund those negative cash flow costs, those holding costs from my income. And so that's really my contribution towards the investment, given I borrowed the full cost at the beginning of that investment. And that's what makes property investing work. Uh, It's that regular contribution. Now, if you can't find that regular contribution, if you don't have an investable surplus cash flow, then it's going to be really difficult to build wealth over the long run. You really do need to make that contribution, as I keep saying. So then how do you find the contribution? Well, in simple terms, you just manage your cash flow well and manage your expenses uh, well, uh, of course. 
Um, and really what you need to do is reduce or eliminate in full unconscious expenditure. Okay, so what do I mean by unconscious expenditure? Well, let me explain that by uh, actually giving you an example of conscious expenditure. And, and a good, a really good, probably the best example of conscious expenditure is uh, holidays. You know, holidays are expensive and uh, really since COVID, holidays have actually become a lot more expensive Although uh, I wouldn't surprise me if the cost of holidaying will come down over the next uh, 12 to 18 months as higher interest rates start to bite. Uh, but, you know, when we think about holidays, we tend to co- think quite deeply about where are we going to go, uh, where are we going to stay, you know, sort of level of accommodation, how are we going to get there, so how, you know, plane, what sort of class and, and so forth. We think really deeply about these things because we know they're big ticket items, but also because um, holidays tend to provide a lot of utility, a lot of enjoyment. So um, they are typically lifestyle goals for a lot of people. I want to go to Europe every three years or something like that. You know, we, we think quite deeply about it. So as a result, because we contemplate, you know, how we're going to spend our money on holiday, we tend to get a lot of utility per dollar. So we get a lot of bang for our buck in terms of enjoyment uh, from that exercise. Unfortunately, and so that's a really good example of, of conscious expenditure. We're weighing up the, the, the expense versus the happiness and enjoyment that we're going to get from that expense. Unfortunately, we don't take the same approach with all expenses. And of course, particularly, you know, lower dollar uh, value expenses. And we're not going to sit there speaking, <laughs> thinking hours and hours whether we buy a takeaway coffee. Of course not. But that's the problem, is that unconscious expansion where we don't even consider whether we're going to get any utility from the expense, any enjoyment, ends up in wasted money. And when I say wasted money, I'm really talking about an expense that really doesn't change your standard living, really doesn't change your lifestyle, doesn't change your enjoyment, either in the short, medium or longer term. Uh, and they're just an absolute waste. And these items tend to be discretionary items, you know, non-discretionary items we don't really need to worry about so much. You know, you pay your electricity bill, you get the bill at the end of the month. There's not a lot other than shopping around every six to 12 months in terms of provider. Uh, there's not a lot you can do with it. So it shouldn't really absorb too much of your energy in terms of thinking about expense management. It's really about all this unconscious expenditure um, that might and quite often is uh, small ticket items, but they just tend to be um, quite regular items and they'll add up over the course of the year. You won't, you'll be surprised. You're probably spending, if you are not uh, got a good way of tracking expenses, uh, you, you could be spending ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 on these things over the course of a year. Okay, so how then do you put in place a way of managing cash flow uh, that's uh, painless and doesn't take too much time? Well, the simple answer is that you need to separate the payment of discretionary and non-discretionary expenses. So non-discretionary expenses are things like school fees, mortgage repayments, uh, insurances, utility bills, you know, kind of all the boring stuff, if you like. Uh, the stuff that you can't really overspend on, you know, you make the decision to, you know, get some insurance cover, you make that decision initially, and every time you renew your policy, you, you, you consider whether it's worthwhile. Um, but once the insurance is in place, that's, you know, it is what it is, and uh, there's no change in the amount. Uh, those sort of uh, regular payments can be paid from, you know, your normal transaction account. Uh, that's the, the transaction or offset account. 
uh, that receives the income that you get. So your salary goes into that. That's fine. That can continue on. Uh, and then what you do is you have a completely separate account and or credit card uh, to pay all discretionary expenses from. Uh, and what you do is you set up an automatic transfer from your main bank account into this discretionary expenses account uh, and uh, every every week, fortnight or month, depending on how you want to track it or how often you want to track it, you might match your pay cycles or whatever. Um, but let's say every uh, month you transfer $5,000 across, across to this discretionary account. Uh, and then that what that does is you then pay all discretionary expenses from that account. So clothing, eating out, uh, going to the grocery, anything that, that can be $1 today or $100 tomorrow, you know, anything that's completely discretionary. And what it will do is two things. Uh, firstly, it will allow you to track uh, on a regular basis kind of how you're going, how you're tracking compared to what your budget should be. So if you worked out, you know, you shouldn't be spending more than $5,000 a month on um, discretionary items, then uh, if you're halfway through the month and you're almost, that account's almost to zero, you've overspent and you can kind of course correct or you can realise, okay, there was this one expense that came out of nowhere that uh, caused me some problems. Uh, so it allows you to sort of track on a real-time basis without needing to track every dollar and cent every single payment. Uh, the second thing it will do is uh, typically it invites people to be unconsciously more conscious about expenditure. So you won't find uh, you won't find that you're you know won't necessarily realise that you're doing it, but you start to really consider expense expenses a bit a bit more carefully, uh, and it really does help then eliminate. Uh, those uh, expenses that run, you, you don't really provide you too much enjoyment. Uh, and that's not a painful thing. You know, um, if you really enjoyed eating out once a month uh, and you eliminated that, you would, you would feel it from a, a standard of living perspective. But if you're spending money on Netflix, you never watch it. Well, then cancelling Netflix, you're never going to notice it. So it's actually eliminating that unconscious expenditure isn't a painful exercise. And in fact, it's quite rewarding uh, because you really know kind of where you stand and, and where your money's going and that you're getting good value for money uh, in terms of your expenditure. Now, I've got a diagram in the, uh, the link will be in the show notes and, of course, the, the blog on the website that sort of uh, shows sort of how that, uh, those two transaction accounts interact. So you can certainly have a look at that. Now, this brings me back to my original question for you, which is how much will you invest this calendar year 2023? Uh, so for employees, of course, you're forced as an employee to uh, invest a certain amount each year. That's your compulsory superannuation contributions. So that's good. Um, but for most people, super won't be enough. Most people would want a, a retirement. I mean, it depends on your age and stage of life and your super balance, of course. But for most people, they're going to have to make investments in addition to super uh, to enjoy a really comfortable uh, standard living in retirement. So uh, apart from super, what else are you going to invest in? Now, of course, if you already have some investment properties, for example, uh, and you're meeting the negative cash flow of those investment properties from your income, well, you can certainly count that as a, a an annual investment amount. Um, anything else, you know, some other ideas? Well, of course, you can make additional super contributions. Uh, that's going to obviously depend on, again, your age and stage of life and, you know, your home loan debt and those sorts of things. Uh, of course, you can um, do some regular share market investing, and I shared a, uh, I did a podcast episode on that 
uh, about a year or two ago, uh, and I have a link in the show notes, of course, or you can go and buy another investment property. Um, I guess the point is that there's a few different options, and if you really are unsure about you know, which one's going to suit you best, then, of course, getting some professional and independent advice uh, makes sense. Now, some people listening to this episode might be thinking, okay, Stuart, but how much should I invest? Uh, and really, the answer is um, it's going to depend on everything. It depends on your age and stage of life, how far away you are from retirement, uh, how much income you have, any existing assets and investments, uh, your debt levels, you know, there's a lot to, to really consider. But I would think for most people, the answer is going to be somewhere between 10 and 30% of their gross income is their annual investment amount. Um, of course, if you're on a lower income, then maybe it's 10% or maybe if it's a little bit less than that, maybe it's 7 or something like that. Uh, if you have a very high income, then something closer to 30% might be more prudent. Um, we really want to enjoy uh, the journey to building wealth. You know, it's not just a destination. It's not like we're just going to get there and, and then uh, have a sigh of relief and then go, okay, now I can start enjoying life. To my mind, that's not really the best approach because we just don't know how long we're going to be on this planet for. Uh, so we want to enjoy the journey, which means spending a little bit of money today uh, but at the same time, saving some money and investing it for tomorrow. Uh, so finding that balance, you know, you don't want to invest everything. As I said, you, you go on a holiday, you do something you love and enjoy, uh, but find that balance. And that's really difficult to do unless you set a goal at the beginning of each year, as I do myself personally, my wife and I do, of course. Uh, and then we, uh, we pay ourselves first. So we invest that money first. Uh, and then what's left over, we, we can spend uh, almost on a guilt-free basis. Well, I say almost on a guilt-free basis, uh, you know, spending can sometimes feel guilty, but uh, once you've invested, uh, you felt like you've invested uh, more than enough money, uh, then really what is left over is a bit of icing on the cake. Okay, uh, of course, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating and please share it. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. And I'm working on a really uh, interesting topic for next week. So until then, bye for now.